Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Angels to aliens, from ghost stories to angel encounters, Bigfoot sightings, alien abductions, near-death experiences, and more. Get advice and insight with Angels to Aliens. Heidi Hollis, The Outlander. Outlander. Welcome, welcome everybody to Angels to Aliens with me, Heidi Hollis, aka The Outlander, here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. The question is, do you believe? I think most of us do, right? (laughs) Join me now here where we discuss the most incredible stories on the planet, from the paranormal to mysteries to horror to even heavenly interventions. And I will also welcome you, the listener, to send over your personal stories of mysterious happenings through my main website, which is HeidiHollis.com. Sound it out. H-E-I-D-I-H-O-L-L-I-S.com. And uh, also HeidiHollis at Gmail. Mm-hmm.com, <laughs> if you didn't know. Um, so if you want to share or get advice or whatever it is, just go ahead and send your emails on over. And uh, I'll also be interviewing some of the most intriguing guests from researchers to experiencers, authors, and other cultural creatives. And if you enjoy this show, I welcome you to please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, most especially. Uh, we're available also on your favorite directories like Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And you can also find us at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com and at Believe Podcast. And, uh, you know, you can find me on my social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. If you put literally at one Heidi Hollis, you will find me all over because there's only one of me, right? I'm just kidding. I had to put that one because there's so many. Um <laughs> So anyways, I'm going to go and I'm going to introduce my fabulous guest for today. Ooh, you guys are in for a treat. I have Nathaniel Gillis, who is a religious demonologist and author. After living in a haunted house, Nathaniel spent 20 years researching what it was he encountered. He's also sought to redefine the nature of haunting phenomena, ghosts, and high strangeness. He is often quoted for his concept of the demonic, and I like this quote. The reason they are playing by different rules is because they're playing a different game. So everybody, round of applause for Nathaniel Gillis. Welcome, Nathaniel. How the heck are you? Thank you. I'm doing good. How are you doing? <laughs> Life is um, quarantined. <laughs> it's quarantined. No quarantine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. But I'm, I'm praying that... Uh, things get fixed out there in the world to an extent where we can we can survive it at least when and if we get sick you know that's that's no the biggie right my Survival. goodness <laughs> yeah it, you know it is an absolute pleasure now you there's a name on here i could not i wasn't even going to attempt it i'm just mm-hmm. going to keep it real with you nathaniel because um what is it that you're the founder of <laughs> it's it's <laughs> it's called preternatural epiphenomenal philosophy yeah that and... word <laughs> Yeah, it's just a weird academic term for misunderstanding the phenomenon and not really perceiving it for what it is, just mishandling the data sample. Ah, that's interesting. I like that. So you have a a different approach to the whole ball game, and and I really Mm want to hear about it because... I, as you know, I'm I, I'm in spiritual warfare all the freaking time because uh, mm-hmm. uh, the two topics that I cover of shadow people and hat man, and um, I, I feel like I have been running uphill most of the time, you know, and right. trying to wake people up. So, do tell what what got you involved. You, you start like myself. I grew up in a haunted house, and you yep. came from there and wanted to figure it out. So, mm-hmm. t- take us on a trip, Nathaniel. <laughs> it's a trip and a half. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Put your seatbelts on, <laughs> make sure OnStar is available. No, um, yeah, I was eight years old and my family moved into a haunted house in the east side of Dayton, Ohio. And 
I remember when I first walked into the room that was going to be mine, I uh, smelled sulfur. And I remember seeing a small girl, about maybe six or seven, beautiful, beautiful, pale, beautiful little girl, long flowing black hair and a white linen dress. And uh, she was hiding underneath the bed oh. that was in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. And um, I felt she belonged there. You know, I had no concept of what a haunting was. Right. Nothing. And so we had left the house and on the way home to our other home, uh, I asked my parents, I said, you know, I said, what, what about that little girl that I saw in my room? And um, first of all, second of all, like, what was I smelling? I don't ever want to go back in that room again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out they felt led to purchase the house and I had to move into the room and for the next, for, for almost, I mean, a decade almost, it was just lots of phenomenon. I saw uh, shadow figures, which is, uh, you know, your work. Mm-hmm. Um, I would wake up in the middle of the night. I would see a, it was a, like a black blob, like a cloud just hovering in the corner of the room. And uh, it was at nighttime. My lights are off, but it was darker than the darkness in the room. And uh, so, yeah, so I was eight, nine years old, experiencing that. I would wake up to a, it was displaced weight on our wooden flooring. And there's no one else there. You know, I'm looking into right. my parents' bedroom and I, I could hear weight displacing the wood and it's creaking and it would always walk up to my door and then stop. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, right. <Ugh. laughs> um, and then if that wasn't enough, the, the the nightmares began. The nightmares were always black and white, and I was I was floating in in the dream, floating towards a picnic table with two young men sitting on it with their backs turned towards me, and the young man on the right was uh, now that I'm older, I, I know what he was doing. He was shooting heroin into his left arm, and the the little boy, the guy next to him, rather turned to me, looked at me, noticed I was coming, grinned with a very sinister, chilling, crooked smile, hmm. pulled out a three fifty seven Magnum, put it in his mouth and pulled the trigger. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I remember waking up and it was always, when I would wake up, the room was thick. And um, it was just, it was a wild time. Wow. That's just, oh. How intense. I, yeah. That's that's a bit much. My goodness. It would, yeah, it was one of the things that I will always tell people because I've never heard. I, actually, recently I heard someone describe what it was that I felt. When that presence entered in my room, it would make me, it would take up everything. Like it would fill every crevice, every hmm. hole in the wall. And it would make me feel like I was nothingness. Compared mm, to that is real evil. Yeah. So that, that was my introduction to this field. Later on, about 15, 16, I moved into the Deliverance Ministry, and I preached all across the country. My goodness, um, you started young. Woo. Yeah, I was 14 when I preached my first uh, message as youth, at a youth rally, they called it. But uh, so, you know, I, I studied the Deliverance Ministry, and, and not, not, you know, the, the people that go out there and charge thousands of dollars and throw holy water at Skype. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm not saying yeah. that. What I'm saying is, you know, I had a different approach to it because I was taught differently and those are the people that I followed. Mm-hmm. But um, so after doing that, I encountered demonic entities in church and outside of church. And I just felt called to take what I've learned and my giftings and take it to a secular venue because there are a lot of people who go through things and they never, they'll never step foot into a church. Yeah. So yeah. that's my, that was my, uh, tradition that I came from. You know, and that's an interesting statement that you just made because uh, I, I, for one, I'm not a, I'm not a church going person, Mm -hmm. but I understand the importance of going to church. I don't know what I would have done had I not had that backing as a kid. I was raised Methodist, um, quite, quite a laid back uh, approach to Christianity, but Mm -hmm. I, I have, I really relied upon it for my morals, my strength and and so much. And, and Mm -hmm. I just really don't know what I would have done. And, and I see there's such this, this disdain for don't, you know, church, you know, oh, I'm right. spiritual. I'm like, well, that's a cop out. I'm like, what, are, what is your, <laughs> what your beliefs really more closely resemble? Well, I was raised Catholic. They're usually Catholic. 
I, that mm-hmm. say the you know i understand there's a lot of horrible things that the church has been responsible for so I understand taking mm-hmm. a step oh, back yeah. and rethinking things but your faith should be in the man above not the man in the puffy robe right that's so. that's that's perfectly <laughs> correct yeah and there's a lot, that's right and there's a lot of idolatry in it too you know and that's i mean when I when I left, I was there was many reasons why I kind of left the pulpit ministry itself. Mm. I mean, uh, beyond being disenchanted with some of the role playing that I witnessed, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I just felt like I would. I really wanted to help people, and I wanted to help people in a more organic way. Oh, and, so you stepped a bit away from it as well. So, so um, what's your approach? What? How are you? How are you reaching the people? I. Well, firstly, I, I've been used in different giftings, and I'm not one of those guys that go out, oh, you know, I got this and that, you know, but there have been times where there has been divine intervention where I was able to, you know, help people through suicide or entities' attachments or whatnot. But what, I, what really started to change my outlook on this was research and trying to, I guess, reverse engineer what it was that I experienced as a child. And the more I got into it, the more I began to look at haunting phenomenon as a language and not just as manifestation. I see. That is, uh, that's fascinating. I, 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 I'm, I'm imagining, I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, how do you dissect that? How do you go backwards? But, Mm -hmm. um, so you are considered a a religious demonologist. So, Mm -hmm. um, people present what's going on with themselves and you go out to you, do you do something that looks like a ghost uh, investigation or what? Yeah. I can, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm more of the, um, I don't want to say this, but I'm more like a like media mystic in a sense. I'm not, I mean, hmm. that's what some people call it, but I, I, I would just go in there and I, I usually don't know anything. Yeah. Okay. I don't talk, so I, I want to go in there clean and I mainly deal with demonic cases. Like right. where a murder has happened or something has left the the home stained, either with the consciousness or even with the entity that caused the murder itself. Or, you know, so that's been more so my work. But the language aspect of it was me trying to interpret it. I mean, not just as, okay, there's scarification on possession cases or, you know, we go into homes and we see the Virgin Mary with her fingers burnt. Uh, mm. I wanted to approach it and not that obviously that exists and it happens, but I think that a lot of this happens for a reason and the reasons hidden to us and that we misinterpret the data, not that we're not describing it correctly. But again, if you look at a chessboard and a checkerboard, the difference between the two is not the places, it's the value systems. And that's why I think that these entities are commuting, com- communicating way more than they may be intending to. How do, you, how do you explain that a little bit clearer for people? Because there, there's a lot of problems going on out there. And right. uh, I've, I've not quite heard it put that way. So how, how could you put that more in layman's terms for people who are dealing with this? Like, what is this, this problem? Well, I think that what we're dealing with are two different kinds of entities. And what I mean by that is this, if you go into biblical antiquity, there was a common thematic element through their demonology. And okay. I'm a demonologist. <laughs> so that's the only way. You know, <laughs> right, right. You know, so, um, but yeah, it was either you're dealing with demons of pestilence, famine and fever, mm. which are descriptions of natural phenomena or you're dealing with something that the, these uh, ancients would call the Nephilim. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to a different take on that because Nephilim stretches way back prior to Genesis. But the term of the Nephilim were fallen ones, not in the terms of angels, but in people who lived and died unfulfilled. And so I believe, as far as my research can tell, including UFO abduction, possession cases, that the entities that we are encountering who are possessing people and who are leaving scarification or visiting people in the midnight hour, those in my mind are also disincarnate spirits, but they're operating on a different belief system than that of someone who has like a a grandmother attachment uh, of something of that like. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
it's interesting that you, you, you mentioned UFO abduction and possession like in the same <laughs> sentence because I have always, always from the start when it came to the shadow people hat man phenomenon, mm. they have a close relation and tie to these the negative abducting alien types and sometimes they're seen right alongside of them. So, mm. um, and I, I don't think it's a coincidence that, uh, you know, people experience something of the alien type just so happen to also experience something of the demonic or haunting type. Do you come across that as well? Absolutely. I think they're one and the same. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people, because they either don't know the literature or because it doesn't fit in their current belief system, they'll, they'll knock it and say, oh, it can't be. And I can say this, that uh, at first in my work, I really discounted the demonology of the ancients until I realized that they were struggling to articulate an experience where they would, they would have, especially during miscarriages, this goes right in UFO abduction as well, during miscarriages mm -hmm. and birthing children. And so what I realized was you have someone who was experiencing something that is what Rudolf Otto, the theologian, would call holy other. It transcends everything that they know to exist. And so they stammer. That, that was their demonology. They stutter. Yeah. Their, root, their tongues cleave to the roof of their mouth because what they're experiencing is real. And yet they don't know how to articulate it. And that's primarily where my research is now. And that's exactly what UFO abduction is. It's just modern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know about you, but when you spoke to some of these people who claimed to have been abductees for many years and and they could seem like horrific experiences mm -hmm. but then they may speak very kindly of their captors the, the those that are abusing them do you come across that yes absolutely and that concept is throughout all of the bible and that's why my research has been primarily not just ufo abduction i mean I, when i when i separated myself from a lot of the dogmatism that I grew up in, one of the things I did first was I researched everything I could get my hands on regarding UFOs, UFO abduction, the false pregnancies. And then from there, I went and did about a five, six year study on possession cases and the rites of exorcism in Catholicism, Judaism, and Christianity. And what I've concluded is that the ancients knew far more about these entities than we do. And again, like I always say this, a demon is not what it does. A demon is what it values. And That's fascinating it's a way to put it. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times what we've done is we've looked at them and I know that a lot, like here was my issue with what's called systematic demonology. And that was the fact that they were giving us definitions mm -hmm. through descriptions. And so when we have demonologists, at least I know, like my field, it's, it's, difficult because what we try to do is we try to define these entities through descriptions and descriptions will give us an account, but it's what they're after that I'm really researching because I think that if we can understand what they're, what they value, then we could start to put the chess pieces together and really get a weapon in our hand. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I swear. Uh, Honestly, I, I, I don't know what, um, I, I, I really, I, I look at uh, the whole world of looking into such things and I'm mm -hmm. like, I think people are really more entertained with, you know, the, the bells and whistles going off with, with things. But I'm like, let's just look at the, the, the issue and get rid of it. Let's Correct. Correct. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't care if my EMF, re you know, meter is going off. I don't care. This person's yeah. soul is getting tampered with. Um, yeah, it's almost a fatal fascination. It, yeah, it's, I, oh my gosh, the stress, the stress of it to me to even know that somebody's dealing with such a thing and, and, um, and they, they, I don't know if they want cameras there or whatever to make it seem like they got the biggest haunted house, you know, I'm like, oh man, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's sad. It's really sad. Cause I, I've had yeah. people who are just bawling their eyes out on the phone and I'm like, okay, so this is what you got to do. Oh, well, what do you mean? You're not, you don't want to write a book about it. What? Exactly <laughs> right. Oh my, exactly. my God, I'm sitting here so stressed for you. And, oh, you want me to write a book. Okay. You start to see it. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, oh, my God. I don't understand some of the, the reasonings behind things. And, and, but the people are really suffering. So 
Uh, but you know, I'm I'm curious. Uh, there there's a something that you you sent over here, and this is a, a interesting question that that uh, that you have on your list here. It's like, what religion has a better grasp on demons? I'm like, well, well, well. Let's hear this and uh, hold your crucifix. What where where are you going with on on that? <laughs> oh well, it's a kind of a trick question here. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, which one is he going to push away? Which one is he going to grasp? I think yeah. all of them have a good understanding of what they're describing. Mm -hmm. So what we're dealing with here, like, let, let's go into Judaism, because Judaism, really, Judaism begat Christianity and Islam. Yeah. And so a lot of their traditions come from the Levant, uh, all of them, rather, mostly. Uh, but so... In Judaism, we have two kinds of demons. We have what are called the Shin Dalit. Okay. Those are the Shadim, and that's what we have in the Old Testament and in the New. But in the New Testament, we have the advent of what's called the unclean spirit. And the unclean spirit is the seedbed from which all other demonologies are formed. And so it's in that, that again, that's that seabed that Islamia comes over and says, well, they're called the jinn. Oh, so, so I thought you were going to say politicians. Okay, keep going. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the jinn. Yeah, it's kind of funny you said that because the shindala is where we get the word shade. Uh-huh. They're shading. Throw some yeah. shade. <laughs> there we go. We got another one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, the, okay. All right. So the jinn. Yeah, so the, what we have here is descriptions of mortals. For instance, the, in Judaism, they have what the Shadim, which they believe that the Shadim were uh, shadow figures. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that um, what happened was that Yahweh had them half created, and then all of a sudden the Sabbath fell, and then he just stopped their creation. And now they're stuck in what's called a liminal position, which is literally being in between. So that was their understanding of what a Shadim, what the Shadim are, or Shandalat is. Mm -hmm. So then we have the demon in Christianity, which was more or less, it could be, again, a false god or an idol, which the prophets say don't even exist. <laughs> they have no breath. They're what some prophets call them non-things, literally, non-existence. And the other argument is the Nephilim, which is the disincarnate spirit of a dead giant, which is, you know, the offspring of angels. Wow. So all of these descriptions are, they're, they're talking about the same thing. They're just talking about it in different ways. For instance, your unclean spirit linguistically is a disincarnate spirit. It literally means Tuma Ruah. Tuma is a direct reference to the deceased. So you have this terminology, especially in the gin, they can procreate. What? <laughs> How? You know, they didn't have different belief systems. You have atheist gin. I've never heard of an atheist demon. <laughs> I have not either. Right. Wow. So, so the, the, the systematic demonology falls apart like paper mache, and it should because it's the 21st century, and what the ancients did is they lit a torch to illuminate the darkness. And they handed it to us, but it's turned to ash, leaving us to grope. And so I think that in order for us to grasp a better understanding, a deeper understanding, we have to lay all the cards out and say, what if we're all describing the same thing in different ways? And if we are, what is it? Does that make sense? It does. It does. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it's a question I get posed like, well, Heidi, you came up with this name Shadow People or Hat Man. Well, I, I, you know, I've known of these things uh, for 40 years because they've come after me since I was a kid. And what? I'm like, but why, you know, is this, this is nothing new. I know mm -hmm. it's nothing new. Um, mm -hmm. But nobody was saying anything. No one was talking about this. I didn't, I, I, I had not heard of anybody describing such a thing, what I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. So I just like took the step and just started flapping my gums. I'm like, look, I'm in college. I'm seeing something. I'm going to write this yeah. book and I, I hope it helps the next person, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to me. Why, why do you think that uh, there's this gap in, it's not, well, I guess it is kind of in knowledge. The experiences, no, there's not a gap in experiences, right. but there's this gap in people communicating 
about what they've been dealing with. What, what do you think that is and why? It's, it's religious dogma. I mean, if it, and that was one of my biggest issues. We, I mean, okay, if, if a demon is a demon is a demon, it's going to follow <laughs> and obey one constitution. It's going to have one belief system or else it was begotten by another god, right? Or it fell from another heaven. It, it, so... <laughs> What this begins to, okay, I'll answer your question real quick and we'll move on. Uh, yes, so, so the reason I, I believe that there's such a, a disconnect here is because if, if we all had the same demons, then we would all have to have the same religion. And therefore, if my, my religion is, not the, is the same as yours, then I can't you know, claim to have a, a supremacy, a primacy over you. Mm-hmm. And so you know, one, one religion's God becomes the next religion's demon. And so a lot of this plays into to the hand of religious demonology. But again, if we can sit down and strip all of the dogmatism and listen to the descriptions and write down the descriptions, we'll start to understand that there is something at play here that's far, it's very ancient, if not in being, then in belief system. And we will see that through, even through UFO abduction and possession cases. Right. That makes sense. And, you know, I tell people, <laughs> it's like a, you could slap any title you want on it. You could slap right. a, t- a title. And, but some things just are without a pure definition because our words really mean nothing. Uh, Correct. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I, I, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know. But uh, I, I'm hoping as long as you get the point, it's like yes. dabble all you want over matters of definitions and words. But do you get it? That's the important yes. part, right? Yes, yes. Do you actually understand? And that's it. You know, it's like it's that's the actually the banishment of reasoning and intellect is when you're settling for descriptions and then you start to weaponize whatever whatever you have to fight a description. And even and that's what really it really killed my theology with that, and not in terms of believing in God or tradition or anything like that. But as far as my demonology went, because I realized very quickly that there are demons that don't believe in Yahweh. There are demons, and this is interesting, because it goes back into the belief of fallen angels and all that. But if these are horns and hooves, they should be afraid of one deity. True. Unless, unless we're missing it. And that, w- and that points right back to the idea that it's a disincarnate spirit, which linguistically, it's in the Bible. Um, and I can, whatever, you know, we can go there, but... That, that's what really separated me from many in my field was because I believe we're all fighting for the same light. We're fighting the same darkness. Mm-hmm. It's just that we're approaching it in two different ways. Is that the different game that we're talking about? Um, no. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> that different game is far more chilling than this. I wish it was. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. So you're saying uh, that, that uh, your quote that, that often gets used what do you mean by that then? Well, okay. So we have approached the field of the paranormal, especially malevolent hauntings, through the 21st century lens. And there seems to be a, and I wouldn't say an arrogance, but an assumption that the ancients had a very limited vocabulary, and they did in many cases, or they had a limited experience whatever they knew what they were talking about and what what i mean by that is this these entities are playing by a different belief system in other words there are certain portions of humanity that they're using as currency Hmm. interesting goes back to your blood rituals your sex worth our weight in gold huh exactly right in blood absolutely And so we see that through the idolatry in the Old Testament, where it was blood rituals, sex magic. And you'll start to see that if we, you know, a lot of us believe, okay, we go into a haunting and this, that's all that's happening, right? That's not true. It's not just an attachment. There is a currency there. There's a belief system. That entity is operating with an understanding that we are not aware of yet. And that's what grieves me. And I think that if we're going to limit ourselves to just descriptions, we will be used as currency and continue to be used as such. 
Well, I think uh, we got used to that in this kind of democracy that we're dealing with, aren't we? No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> we're just like, well, of course, it just goes up a level when we cross over. There we or go. Whatever. Yeah. They were going to a no harm, house. no foul. Yeah. Oh, it's like gotta pay your due, right? Oh. Absolutely, it, it can get chilling, but there's an answer, so thank God. <laughs> well, you know, so when you're you say that there's there's an answer, so uh, when people are are in the midst of um, some struggles in, in their faith, mm -hmm. struggles in uh, something that's going on in their home. And, and then most of society, especially this modern age, they, they're just like, oh, you've been smoking something. Oh, it's mm -hmm. your eyes playing tricks on you. That one, oh, that gets on my nerves because it's like, it's oh, those are the same, yeah, those are the same eyes that you use uh, to drive to work every day. Did you <laughs> yeah, say right. Tide Pods? That's hilarious. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like, wait a minute, why are your lips and tongue like purple, yellow, and red? I'm starting to really, really question what you're saying. Oh my God. But it's like, uh, you know, there's so much that uh, it, we choose to ignore now. It's not yeah. like demons went away, it's not like God stopped talking. It's exactly. not, you know, there's a lot of moving and grooving parts going on. And if, and I always say, it's like, if we, could really believe in one of these stories, even just one person and what they're experiencing, it would change right. your whole perspective in this world. Absolutely. Oh, so, I mean, what uh, what are we missing? Why on earth is this getting hushed and where we don't even know how to speak to the person laying next to us in the bed? I think it's it has to do with a deception here. There, there's a, a profound deception going on right now. And I'm not like a conspiracy theorist. And by the time I do believe in a conspiracy, it's no longer conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I can't hold that title. No, but I, uh, I have found, I found early in my research that in both possession cases, haunting cases, and UFO abduction, that the human agent is always present, always, in terms of not just, okay, you know, you put a camera on in your house, you go to dinner, and you come back, and they you know, scrub something on the wall or write something on the carpet or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the human agent is always desired. And as far as I can tell right now, we are at war with entities who've lived and died and who are, are trying to be incarnate again. We first saw it in Genesis 6, which I think is grossly mistranslated in many cases, even misinterpreted. Um, and in possession cases, possession is necromancy. Without, without, the, without someone even giving consent so many times. It's, it's when that entity wants a body again. And the more I got into the research of biblical antiquity, ancient Babylon, Sumer, you start to understand what these entities are after, not just the descriptions, but who they are and what it is they value. And it, the, their, their modus operandi, in terms of getting what they want has evolved since then, but what they're wanting has not changed. Hmm. That makes sense. Now, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you, when you focus in on these darker topics and mm -hmm. I have had the, the, <laughs> the pleasure of dipping into this dark yeah. arena for a very long time, Mm -hmm. I, I found that um, it blew my mind how many people who experienced something so horrific but would say, you know, please help me. This There's a demon in my house. I think it's the devil. Um, but I don't get into that religious stuff. But so what do I do? What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, isn't that fascinating? And isn't it? I'm like, hold on. I I had to pull my faith in in, in front of people Mm -hmm. as as much as I did the dark side uh, of what my understandings of the dark side is, because I, I think people needed to realize that um, there's no way I'm standing here without that light in my life and that understanding. So that's exactly right. So I, I'm, I'm sure you've had to bring that forward and, and to bring it forward in a way that a lot of people are like, mm -mm, back up. I don't want that. Yeah. So how are you approaching people uh, to to get them to realize, yes, you recognize the demon, but you don't recognize there's an opposing force. I mean, 
how do you bring them to that understanding? It's so frustrating. It's frustrating. And I could say this, there was a case I had, it was a murder and it, I always talk about it because it's, it's the most impactful event that I had happen to me. Um, where there was an actual, there was an atheist that was there with the family. There was a, a murder that had occurred about two weeks, I think, prior to me getting there. Mm. And it was the wife who had been murdered in the house and they had oh. cut up the carpet and there was a lot of paranormal activity. But, um, you know, at the end of my investigation, which was just going through there with a family member through every room, not having them tell me anything, but yeah. just to witness what I'm saying, so that, you know, later on, I went downstairs, told them everything, come to find out that the murderer was the father-in-law of the victim. Oh, gosh. And he was still in the house. He was upstairs in a closet, uh, tethered. He was actually like, I don't know, somehow he was tied to some of his belongings that the family had stored after he passed. And he was a, he was a demon in real life, in life, and he's a demon after death. But that, you know, so it was after that event, I mean, when I went downstairs, I felt my angel come into the room to my right side and that entity left and you could actually see the darkness leave. It just left the entire wow. house. Like someone turned the light on. It was crazy. Wow. Um, the atheist who didn't believe in God, didn't believe in spirits was crying, bawling. And then two months later after that, I, I got a phone call from him nervous, weak voice, broken voice, almost in tears. And he said, you know, Nathaniel, he said, since that day, he said, I have called everybody, every pastor rather in the Dayton area to tell them and testify what had happened in that house. Wow. And then he said, and this, this always chokes me up. He said, and I really, now he said, witnessing what happened, knowing this is real. He said, now I feel called to do what you do. Oh, that gives me goosebumps. How beautiful. Yeah. So it's, you know, there are some people who have to be there to witness it. Some people have to experience it, but once they do, you'll realize that it's not so much that they have a, a, you know, an unbelief in it. It's that, you know, once they witness it, they want it. They want to confront these entities. And that's just, you know, some of them are just like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I, I get it. There's those, those show me people. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's those people that you reach that really pull you through the thousand other cases that, yeah. um, you know, just they give you hard. strength. Yeah, yeah, they do. They really do. And, they, and to let you know what you did made a difference. So, you know, kudos, oh, yeah. because um, oh, yeah. that's, that's worth it. Even to save one, even to save one. Mm-hmm. So yeah. now, now you've written a, a book or two or yeah, I have a book on Amazon. It's, uh, it's called A Moment Called Man. And I wrote it as an homage to a friend of mine who died of an overdose. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I went through a period of grief, just, you know, dealing with why that happened, why that, I mean, he grew up in church too. Um, you know, dealing with empaths really who are medicating what they're called to manifest and helping them understand that it's sometimes it's the disfigurement of our destiny that leads us to actually becoming who we're called to be and understanding, you know, there are going to be some deficits in us. There are going to be simple images, but in that is, you know, what God has also called to help people. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great that you you did that. You know, I'm curious. uh, I find it, it fascinating. Someone like yourself that, uh, especially coming from such a, a, a quite strict religious background oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and uh, stepping out of that arena a, a bit mm-hmm. and um, being gifted, being able to see, feel, um, smell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, literally. Yeah. <laughs> that most people just don't get. Um, mm-hmm. And and then uh, to, to make it seem like, you know, look, I'm just like you. So yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, yeah. So how do you, um, I mean, how did, how's your family accepting? Of <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a big laugh. Okay. So yeah, because well, that, that could be tough. <laughs> it is tough. You know, my dad's a pastor and I know a lot of people, I mean, my dad's fine with it. He understands what I do and my approach to it. And there are a lot of people who are still stuck in the tradition who say, Oh man, what you're doing is not biblical. I'm like, okay, well let's go to the scriptures. And they're like, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> So, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people who, if they misunderstand it, they'll attack it. 
And then there's some people who are just, you know, they're humble and honest, say, you know what, let's actually talk about it. Maybe, maybe we're misunderstanding what you're doing. And, you know, so that, that's the way I approach it. But my, my research now has been getting into what happened in Genesis 6, the uh, necromancers that Yahweh mentions in Ezekiel 13, in how the victimization and victimology has not changed since biblical antiquity and how that there is a different belief system that they're operating on and how we can really fight against it. Fascinating. You know, it blows my mind with, uh, uh, a lot of things are blowing my mind in this conversation. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to, uh, it, people are like, oh, well, that can't happen today. You know, that happened in the Bible. We're, we're reading the dreams of people from thousands of years ago. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. like we believe their dream and it's written in this thing called the bible and we study yeah. it but our dreams are just oh that's symbolic of this you know oh you saw a purple airplane well that means you like rubber balls no uh, <laughs> you know i i really take it quite direct uh as far as when i have a dream of something mm-hmm. it's not symbolic it's it's you know, hey, Heidi, pay attention. This this might happen or, you know, yeah. and we really need to pay attention that we're getting messages. We're, we are getting messages all the time. Why do we have to yes. shut down so much of our day to do this thing called sleep? Uh, yeah. How do you go about uh, uh, bringing that, that awareness to, to the people that uh, you're, you're having these discussions with because uh, this religious so-called uh, battle of what it is you're doing is not on par with... Uh, what they're being taught well a lot of the people i deal with are either ufo abductees or cases of possession haunting phenomenon and so they have some background of experience regarding the malevolent and one of the things that I, especially in ufo abduction i would like everyone that's going to be listening to this to to read ezekiel 13 where Yahweh curses necromancers, because that's what this is all about in my mind. The research, at least in biblical antiquity in Babylon, it's all about that. Um, and these necromancers, Yahweh levels a curse at them and says, listen, he says, you who hunt the souls of men to make them fly like birds. Hmm. And um, are we good on time? Yeah, we're good. We, we've got okay. a little time yet. <laughs> okay. So I, I want to... Yeah, so, so Ezekiel 13, mm-hmm. he says, you who hunt the souls of men to make them fly like birds. That's yeah. a, a Semitic reference to when someone dies, their soul flies out of their body like a bird. Wow. That's why your necromancers in the Old Testament would chirp and chatter like birds. So he's literally, he called them soul harvesters. This is what we're dealing with in my mind. And what they would do is they would go into... Uh, the room of someone in the middle of the night and they would capture their soul, cut off a piece of their flesh and, and, and sew it on to their skin. This is a real deal. This is not out of the Lord of the Rings. This was a part of the Hebrew consciousness in the Old Testament. Sounds like them... Jeepers, Jeepers Creepers. I've seen that Exactly movie. right. Yes, it's all about, it's the possession. So, um, Interesting that Jeepers Creepers looks very much like Hat Man, isn't it? It is, yeah, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. And it's fascinating. Uh, so he called them soul harvesters, soul hunters. And, and there's a very interesting reference that he makes that, that always makes, it just, it grieves me. He said, you take the lives of the innocent to revive the lives of the guilty. Wow, that's powerful. And yes, and it comes down to what were called midwives in, in Babylon. That was somewhat, you know, what a midwife, somebody who would, you know, help, help a woman birth a child. And so the more I looked into it, the more I realized was that um, these entities we're dealing with all throughout the Bible, they're called unclean because they have touched the dead. Why? Why, you know, and we, again, like in my research with the possession, I don't know if you guys haven't heard some of my other interviews, I, I really get deep into 
the understanding of what possession is, which is literally the putting on of a social skin where these entities will conform to you before you conform to it. And then once the possession takes place, it has a body again. Is that what makes it so very difficult to detach them? Because, you know, in the yes. movies, they get it done in less than an hour. Um, but right. in reality, yeah, yeah. yeah, reality, it's like, this could go on for years, this battle. It could, it could. And that's the, the grooming stage of that includes, and I faced this in that murder case, um, it includes the, the fact-finding mission of literally, like the, the, the Jews in Judaism, they would call it a dibek or a dibuk, where the entity will lay on you like a garment. And it will send faults to you. Do you agree with this? What do you, you know, usually it's insecurities, failures, anything that it can lower your uh, will to. And then once you agree to it, now it has consent. Now it's going to wear you as a, a garment. And that's, that's an allegory. That's allegory, but that's right out of Ezekiel 13, because what they were doing is they were clothing themselves with these skins. And that was the issue that Yahweh had. He's, see, <laughs> exorcists pull the spirit out of the flesh. Yahweh said, I'm going to pull the flesh off of your spirit. <laughs> wow. That's a smackdown. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's a, oh God. Yeah, we, I mean, it's, it's such a profound um, teaching and nobody, I haven't heard anybody teach on it, but it goes back to the uncleanness, the tumaruas, the touching of the deceased. And it goes also, okay, you're familiar with the Genesis 6 narrative, right? The Nephilim and all that? Yes. Okay. Well, a lot of people, what we'll do is we'll tend to sit there and read the book of Enoch as if that's the, the corpus of, of, you know, that's the only person that recorded the event. He's not. He, you know, again, he recorded the event through descriptions. And what's interesting to me is that these people, these authors who record the same event in academia, they have what are called meaning-bearing inconsistencies. One person blames it on the sons of Seth, the other blames it on the angels, the other blames it on the women. Like, you can't be that wrong, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> Politics. What, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Again, again. <laughs> so what the Apocalypse of John says is that these beings went to these women and appeared to them as their husbands especially during sexual intercourse. And they said that they, and this, this is very chilling as well. It says that do, in doing this, that from the darkness, they begat children whose likeness, their image, the material image was the same image as the father. In other words, not the father as in the husband, but as the entity in the act. Does that make sense? Yeah. Wow. So what we have here, again, it literally says copies of bodies. Where is that? Where's that listed at? That's the apocalypse of John. It's one of the, it's called a Gnostic gospel and a lot of people frown on it, but listen, they're, they're experiencing something and they're giving us their best understanding of it. And that term from the darkness is a reference to the deceased. The dead know nothing. It's Ecclesiastes 9.5. The dead know nothing, neither do they have an award. Uh, you know, they're remember from forgotten. They sit in darkness, all that stuff. So what it speaks to, again, is entities who've lived and died, who are recreating a form of themselves. And that's why you have the word Rephaim. It's the word Rapha. Rephaim, they're the deceased. In Job, Job asks a question, and we miss it in the King James. Is this good? Is this okay? Yeah. Okay. The King James Version says the dead, no, or no, it says the dead things are formed beneath the waters. That's the King James Version. The Septuagint says, can a giant be born of the dead? <laughs> so possession was almost a test run. What can I access? And once I do access it, how long can I wear you? Now, again, it's necromancy. So what, that, that was the accusation. And it goes, and even down to the fact that uh, what's called corpse pollution, when you go into a house and you smell decomp, 
I mean, all of these things play in this, this, this can go on for hours. No, oh, I love it. I love it. I mean, it, you're connecting the dots that a lot of people don't look at and, uh, and they, they need to be looked at so you can have more success in uh, ridding people's lives and homes of, yeah. of this, this darkness. And mm-hmm. it's all around us. And especially during this time of uh, a great illness uh, and, and death and depression, mm-hmm. I have seen a huge influx. And I, I called it, I said, oh, no, you know, the darkness oh, yeah. loves to break people down. And we're being broke down by a, a single virus. Uh, this that, is easy pickings, easy pickings. Oh oh my goodness. And, and yeah, the isolation and, and all of it and the emails are flooding in and I'm like, Oh my God, give me mm-hmm. strength because, um, it, it's hard, but wow. You know, <laughs> I've really enjoyed listening to you. This oh, is this fascinating. I, I, I'm really, really impressed. Uh, tell people how people that they can get a hold of you and your book and, uh, if they have anything going on yeah. in their home, what they can do. Well, I'm, my interviews are all over YouTube. I'm on Facebook at, it's just Nathaniel J, the letter J Gillis. Um, same username on uh, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. My book is A Moment Called Man. It's on Amazon. And um, it's also an homage to my religious tradition. But right now, what I'm doing is I'm writing my first book on demonology and I'm going to link it to exorcism, UFO abduction, and possession in a way that it's, it's absolutely chilling. And I know that it will add hope so that it'll add value. But what I have an issue with now is doing so much research. I read all, all the time, all day, basically. And so it's like, do I want to put this in there? So I keep adding on to it. And it's like, man, I got to end this book sometime. So. <laughs> that means book two. <laughs> yeah, there we, there we go. Book three. So, wow. Nathaniel Gillis, thank you so much. And um, I, I'm, well, I'll definitely have you back on. And remember, you guys, you can catch me here on Angels to Aliens with me, Heidi Hollis, the Outlander on Believe. And you can also find more information about myself at HeidiHollis.com. And remember, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available also on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn. And uh, go to Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcasts. And uh, remember, you can also find me at one Heidi Hollis for Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And I'm also answering your Hatman letters at Medium.com forward slash at Heidi Hollis. Well, thank you so much once again, and we'll catch you guys next time here on Angels to Aliens. Angels to Aliens, from ghost stories to angel encounters, Bigfoot sightings, alien abduction, near-death experiences, and more. Get advice and insight with Angels to Aliens, with Heidi Hollis, the Outlander. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.